this morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. Um, if you don't have a Bible, in the back of the chairs there, there are Bibles you could follow along. Just to make sure I'm really saying the stuff that's in here. Um, Matthew chapter 26. Man, today is, wow, it is a, it is a heavy message for me personally. And uh, I think it's going to be a blessed message for us as a body. The title of the message is, uh, the theme of the book of Matthew is the king and his kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 26, we are going to look at how the king deals with failures. How the king deals with failures. In, in just about every story of these great, you know, these kings and even queens, or when you re- read about them in history, um, there are so many times that when someone fails a king, what happens? <laughs> Execution, right? <laughs> Off with their heads. Uh, you know, you failed me, you betrayed. And, and uh, sometimes even we cheer when that happens, right? We watch, we watch a movie and uh, there's a spy and he betrays the king and, and then the king survives and at the end of the movie he's beheaded and everyone, yeah, everyone cheers. Well, this morning I'll tell you what, we are going to look at how uh, King Jesus deals with failures of which um, I'm sure that some of us, like Paul said, uh, I'm the chief of sinners. Sometimes I feel like I'm the chief of failures um, because in reality, uh, God is the one that's the success story, Right? We're, we're a part of his story. It's not like we're the ones that are the success story. So last week in Matthew chapter 26, we looked at Jesus, who is our Passover lamb. Remember that he comes riding into Jerusalem at the Passover, and they, they said, let's kill him, but not during the Passover. But Jesus knows that this is his time. He comes to fulfill prophecy. He comes as our Passover lamb. We also saw that, remember that when Mary worshiped and broke the alabaster jar, that it was Judas who was indignant, and uh, he, he went out to betray Jesus at this point. Um, we also know that Mary didn't hold anything in reserve, and that's what we looked at last week, is when we worship Jesus, do we hold back? Is there a portion of, of my heart, my, my being vested, my jumping in with both feet, or is there something where I'm afraid of fully worshiping Jesus? Just like in some relationships, people are afraid to commit, Right? people can be like that with Jesus. Like, you know, Jesus is good. Uh, he's he's kind of like an add-on to my life, but I'm not fully vested. But Mary gave us the example. And then Jesus took us to the Last Supper. Um, he uh, explained this uh, Last Supper, what we know as communion or the Lord's Supper. And uh, we looked at the bread and we looked at the cup and the significance of those things. And And the question is, what is Jesus worth to you? And so we begin... Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 31. Actually, I'm going to pick it up in verse 30. Because it says, after this last supper, when Jesus, uh, when they had done this, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, when they sung a hymn together, um, I think that that's really special. Because I think that there's something that we talked about last week, when it comes to singing, there's very few people that we sing for and sing to. But I think that when we sing together, there's something of um, this community where I think God is blessed in the midst of our praises. Worship in heaven, when you read about it and you, you see in the book of Revelation what we just sang, holy, 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 all of us are going to be singing. It's going to be an incredible, incredible, beautiful noise to the Lord of, of just those singing to the Lord. But I also think that when we sing together in the here and now, um, it's, it's really special. 
Jimmy was leading some of these songs, and, and at the end of service, uh, we're going to sing some songs. There's one song that I have not heard in 10 years, and I remember when uh, Jimmy uh, used to lead this song, and I just, I was kind of drawn back to that. I think this time with the disciples was really special because the disciples are walking out with Jesus. He shared with them his heart. It says in Luke that uh, Jesus said, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. And so it was a special time. And in the middle of this time of worship and they're singing together and, and they're um, singing praise to God. In Psalm 118, which is the last of the, the Psalms that they would read at the end of the Passover. Let me read to you a few things. This is what it says in Psalm 118. You don't have to turn there. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say his mercy endures forever. Now, Jesus is singing this, knowing that what is about to happen, he's going to be crucified. He's with the disciples, Jesus knowing that that one of them would betray him, Judas, and that all of them would forsake him. And he's singing about what? God's goodness. Let me ask you a question. Can you and I sing that God is good even when it's really hard? See, because I really pray that when things are hard and they're difficult, that's when we, we hold on to the fact that God is good. I think that too few and far between are those intimate times of worship where we're worshiping God out of heartache and out of difficulty. And I think that, I think that it blesses God. I remember when I was in college, I was going through a real difficult time and um, I was alone. And, and there was this one night where in, in college, you're, you're kind of, especially the first few months, you're trying to figure out, you know, what group you fit into and where you are and living on campus. And I was there. And that night, all my roommates were gone. I was alone. It was a Friday night. I was kind of throwing a pity party and uh, just going through a time of depression in my own life and just started calling out to the Lord. And in the middle of that, God met me. And I really felt like it was in that time that God said, if you draw near to me in the difficult times, then, then you could praise me at all times. And in the difficult times is when we really know that God is good. And so Jesus here is singing this. At the end of that psalm, it says this. Um, that psalm, Psalm 118 says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, now send prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is the Lord. He has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. So when they were singing these psalms, as they would go up to uh, Jerusalem to the temple to worship, one of the lyrics is, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Why? Because a sacrifice could crawl away, right? Uh, if you, have you ever tried to give a dog a bath? I mean, it's like you're trying to wrestle them. You're, well, just imagine you have a, a lamb. You're trying to, to kill it. And, and ah, you know, and so you got to bind it to, to the cords of the altar. And Jesus is our Passover lamb who is singing this song. And in other words, what is happening as Jesus is worshiping is he is binding his own heart to the altar. He is going to a place called Gethsemane, which we'll see in a moment. And in this worship time, there is a resolve that is happening in Jesus's heart that says, I'm going to set my face like flint. I'm not going to look back. I'm going to the cross. Now, right after this, he, wonderful time of worship, fellowship together with friends. He drops this bomb on them. And in verse 31, 
it's kind of like he ruins the moment almost. But, but he's, he's saying something that he knows is going to happen. Jesus says, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. Time of worship, um, uh, just an incredible time of singing together. And then Jesus explains that once the, the shepherd is stricken, the whole flock will be scattered. And what does Peter say? Not me. And all of them say not me. In fact, Peter says, if I have to die with you, I'll die with you. Now, this is a, a pretty solemn vow. It's not, and it's not a vow that, that sometimes we could say knowing that we may never have to make that vow. Um, let me explain this. I, I've told my kids how much I've loved them on, on many occasions. And at sometimes I, I've even told them with the words, do you realize that I would die for you? Now, I doubt that I'm going to have to, right? So that may not happen. I mean, there is a death that happens when you die for someone on a daily basis and you sacrifice. But as far as like, you know, him or me or her or me, me, you know, I, I, I doubt that, that it could happen. But I don't, I don't know that that would happen in my life. For Peter, this is a likelihood when he says this because they've seen crucifixions. They, they've seen John the Baptist beheaded. They understand that with this Roman government and authority and the way that the Sanhedrin is against Jesus, that this is a very uh, true reality that could happen. And Jesus um, says this, and Peter, with all of his heart, means to back it up, to say, I'll die for you. And then goes so far as to say this, even if all of these others forsake you, not me. You know, we, we make vows sometimes. Um, sometimes to God, I'll never do that again. Or God, I'm going to start doing this. We make vows to people. I'll never hurt you again. I won't leave you. I, I think about some of the wedding vows. And one of the, the phrases in, in the wedding is uh, forsaking all others, keeping myself only unto you as long as we both shall live. Till death do us part. See, there's some vows that at times we could make promises and vows and we all know that vows have been broken. We've broken vows, but we know other people that have broken vows as well. And, and Peter with his heart intends to keep this vow. I'm not gonna forsake you, Jesus. But Jesus knows ahead of time. And I wanna tell you something that has just blown me away this time studying it. When Jesus says to Peter, he, he says, all of you will be made to stumble. And then when Peter confesses his faith and Jesus says well after I have been raised I'll go before you to Galilee and then Jesus says specifically to Peter tonight you're going to deny me three times it it says in the other gospels um, I believe it's in Luke where Jesus says Satan has asked to sift you as wheat but I have prayed for you therefore when you return strengthen your brethren 
Now, let me tell you what I took from this last night, and it's, I've taken so much encouragement from it, and at the same time, emotionally, it's hard, is that I feel like there's so many times that I fail God. And I don't know um, about you, but there are times when I feel like I'm failing God more than other times. And I feel like just recently was a time that I've been failing God more than other times. And in that discouragement, there are times that it's really hard to minister to other people. It's hard to pray. It's hard to lead. It's hard to teach. You, you know what? There are days that if, I, if it wasn't the Lord's calling upon, I, I, would, I would love to just be anonymous. I would love to go find a church somewhere and, and just where there's really good teaching and great worship and just sit in the back. And, and as the last song is finishing, walk out, get in my car, go home and watch a football game. That's, honestly, there are times that's how I feel. And, and I, I feel like I would love to just kind of be on the outskirts, but then God has me in this place where, where he wants me and he tells me this is what I've asked you to do is to teach my people. And yet sometimes when we feel like we're failing and we're having a difficult time in our own walk with God, it's a hard thing to do. Let me tell you, the blessing is this. Jesus knows that Peter is going to fail and he picks him anyway. He knows ahead of time that, that Peter is going to fail. And he says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But when you get back up, you need to strengthen other people. And I feel like what the Lord has done with me is like, you know, the, you know not, not the bad slaps, but like, come on. You know, like, like quit complaining, quit whining. You know, when you get back up, strengthen some people with, with what I've given to you, with my grace that I've given to you. See, Peter, in his mind, says, even if I have to die with you. How many people go down an aisle and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest in this vow. I might not be faithful to you. Does anyone ever do that? No. Does anyone ever say to a best friend, you know, you get those best friend bracelets or those necklaces, you know, there's half right there, you know, one half and another half. And like, mm, I'm not so sure that I should have that half because I'm not sure how long we're going to be best friends. Like no one says that, right? And yet in their hearts, they mean that vow. They mean that commitment with all their hearts. Peter means this. Jesus knows that Peter's going to let him down. And yet Jesus in his grace says, I'm going to pick you anyway. The next thing that happens is they go into this time of prayer. Um, the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, it says in verse 36, Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And notice in verse 37 who he takes with him. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. We know from John and Luke that he is so distressed that he begins to sweat drops of blood. Why does he take Peter, James, and John with him? Why does he do it? Well, I think that there are some reasons. I think one of them is to record this for us so that we have an account of this. But I, but I actually think that a, a big part of it is just on the human side, he wants his, his close, intimate friends with him to go through this with him. And I want to share with you that it is so important to have good friends that we could bear one another's burdens. In the book of Galatians, same chapter, it says, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And then in the same chapter in another verse, it says, for each one will bear his own load. So what does that mean? It means that, yes, we bear our own load, but there's times when we need people to bear that burden with us. And I want to encourage you, if you are a lone ranger, to find a tonto. 
You know, if you think, hey, it's just me and there's no one else. No, you, you need partners. God has created us uh, to need one another and to have community. That's why it is so important that we're here listening to this message. We're together listening to this, growing together. We're in uh, life groups together. We, we pray for one another. We have friendships together. Because I honestly could sit at home and watch this over the internet like some people are. This is live. And, and I'm hoping that it's not just someone says, you know, I, I don't... I don't want to be at church anymore. I'm just going to have church in my own room because I don't really need to be around other people. Well, guess what? Not only do you need to be around other people, but other people need you to be around them. And in this, Jesus brings Peter, James, and John into this intimate, deep time, and he begins to be so distressed in front of them. And I think that it's an American thing to never let anyone see our weakness to never let anyone know that we're struggling, to never let anyone know that we're having a hard time. Jesus himself is so distressed with them that he begins to sweat drops of blood. And as he does this with Peter, James, and John, notice he, Jesus says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here with me, watch with me. I'm I'm so distraught. I'm going through such a hard time. Will you watch with me? Will you, will you be with me? Um, I'll tell you what. I, I remember one time I shared on a Sunday morning just some things that I was going through personally. And then there was a guy at the church that just stopped coming to church. I was like, man, where did that guy go? I, you know, I, I reached out to him and he didn't return any phone calls. And then someone else saw him and talked to him and they said, hey, what happened? How come you just stopped coming to church? He goes, because our, our pastor... Like he was struggling with all kinds of stuff. How can I learn from a guy like that? And so like, he just stopped coming because like I shared like some things that I was struggling with. And like, he's like, I can't learn from that person. Well, you know what? (laughs) I'm blessed that Jesus gives the example here that there are times to bear one another's burdens. And when that happens, I, I really believe that it shows that we're not the hero, God's the hero. It shows I can't do it on my own. I need Jesus and he's also provided you and you're one of the people that God has put in my life. And if you don't have those people around you, first of all, be that person for others. And secondly, find someone, pray for that and and take the risk of just sharing, hey, I'm going through this because God wants us to walk through these things together. It says in verse 39, he went a little farther and fell on his face and he prayed saying, oh my father, if it is possible, Let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Remember that one cup in the Passover ceremony uh, represents the cup uh, that God would, in a sense, fulfill. And in the Old Testament, we also see that there's a cup of God's wrath. And what Jesus is saying is that this is a cup of judgment. And if there's any other way for people to come to salvation, if there's any other way for people to get to heaven, if there's any other way for people to be okay with God, then let that happen. But if not, then not my will, but your will be done. If there's any other way, if we could read self-help books, if uh, we, we could just uh, try to follow the law and be good enough, if there's any other way, and yet there is no other way, because remember the psalm that they, they sang as they were walking towards this garden? Do you remember in Psalm 118 about God's salvation? God saved This is the only way that God can save. Why? Because God is perfect and he's holy. And only a sinless sacrifice can pay for our sins. The blood of bulls and goats, even in the Old Testament, were only a foreshadow 
of Jesus, the Messiah, the one that would come and really put an end to all of that. See, when Jesus is coming out, he comes back to them in verse 40. And what did he find them doing? They were sleeping. And whom did he say this to in verse 40? He said to whom? To Peter. Now they're all sleeping, Peter, James, and John, right? But he says specifically to Peter, what? (laughs) What? Could you not watch with me one hour? So Peter, I'll never, even if all of these other guys, he's like, Peter, one hour? You couldn't do it one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. And then notice how gracious Jesus is. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I am so blessed that Jesus understands our frailty as human beings. I I remember when I was in high school that there was this one time when I was praying and I was trying to stay awake. And uh, I remember that there was like a winter formal that was coming up. So I tried on my tux and I was in. And and so anyway, that evening um, was the evening before we had our Bible study. We used to have our Bible study at West Covina High School um, on Thursday mornings. And so this is a Wednesday night and I'm trying to stay awake and I'm trying to prepare and, and pray. So I thought, I'll try on my tux because this Friday is like the winter formal, whatever. And so I have my tux on. I'm thinking, of course, I'm not going to fall asleep in my tux. And I wake up probably at 6 in the morning, and I'm lying down with my tux on. And, you know, uncomfortable as I am, I'm just out like a light. And, and I just, I thought about this. The, sometimes the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I also want to say, I think that there's some parts of spiritual warfare involved in this. Now, there are some things when you stay up too late and you've had a hard day and you fall asleep. But have you ever noticed that it is hard to spend time in prayer? It is really, really hard. Not only do we get tired, not only do we lose faith, our minds are all over the place. I really think that there's some spiritual things that are happening here as well. Verse 42, again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, If this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. In verse 44, so he left them and went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going See, my betrayer is at hand. Now, I want you to think about this garden for a moment, just to kind of picture it. Uh, When we went to Israel a few years ago, this is a picture of the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, The Garden of Gethsemane is in the same place. Uh, Some of the olive trees that are there are actually dated to about 1,800 years ago, approximately. Maybe some of them were there at the time of Christ. Maybe they were young little saplings at the time of Christ. And it's a, it's a pretty heavy feeling to be in that garden and just to think that this is the place where my Savior prayed, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. Close by, when we were uh, walking on our way, there was a, a picture of this, uh, or not a picture, there was this millstone. I took this picture. It's a grinding stone. And it, it's actually not the type of grinding stone that they use for the virgin olive oil. Um, the virgin olive oil is crushed by one that looks a little bit more like a rectangle Um, or like a a rectangular cube, and it's actually hoisted up by a a pulley type of system, and then it's dropped. See, what happens is, first of all, the olives are pressed, and as they're pressed, the olive oil comes out. But then you have that that seed, you know, right in the, the pit, right in the middle of the olive, 
when that pit is pressed with an even heavier weight, then what comes out is the virgin olive oil. What Gethsemane means is olive press. The garden of Gethsemane. This is where our savior was pressed so much so that he began to sweat drops of blood, that precious blood that would save us from our sins. And that pressure being placed upon him, Father, he knows what's coming. If there's any other way for people to come to know you, if there's any other way of salvation, let that happen. And he's being pressed upon. And then in the same garden, there are these trees. And on these trees, uh, there are these thorns. And these trees are called juju trees, uh, juju plants. And they have these thorns that maybe were the exact type of thorns that were used to create the crown of thorns that was pressed upon Jesus's head. And all of that happening here in this garden, Jesus looking forward to it, prays, Father, if there is any other way, how much does God love you? Do you ever doubt it? Do you ever feel like, man, I'm not sure if God really loves me because I didn't get the promotion. I, I, I don't know if God really loves me because someone scratched my car. I didn't get the parking. I mean, we, we get so frivolous as to whether or not God loves us based on our circumstances. And yet when we look to the Garden of Gethsemane and we look to the cross, we know that Jesus demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We go on from this point, singing of God's goodness, um, praying in Gethsemane to Jesus's, the king's betrayal and arrest. In verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the 12, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, they came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying this, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately, he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him in verse 49. Now the word in the Greek here for kissed is not a peck on the cheek, but it's a word that is a continual uh, form. That means he continued to kiss him. Like, oh, Jesus, you know, and he's kissing him, just this greeting. He calls him rabbi, teacher. And in the midst of this, I want you to see what Jesus calls him in verse 50. Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? What does he call Judas? He calls him friend. Um, if you look up the word betrayal in the dictionary, really close to that is the word betrothal, and they have opposite meanings. Betrayal can only happen, by the way, by a friend. Betrayal cannot happen by someone that is an enemy. Because if someone's your enemy and they try to kill you, then what? Are you confused by that? You're my enemy. You're trying to kill me? No. You know they're your enemy, so they're trying to kill you. The, the betrayal happens when it's, it's a friend. It's someone that you love. It's someone that you care for. Someone that you have a relationship with. And Jesus calls Judas friend because Jesus is friend of sinners. To the very end, his heart is reaching out towards Judas to the very end, his heart is reaching out towards Peter. To the very end, Jesus' heart is reaching out. And yet notice, it says in verse 50, then they came and they laid hands on him and they took him. Um, we, we know that um, in the other gospels, uh, they say, are you, are you the one that, you know, that, that uh, we're coming for? And Jesus says, I am. And it says that they all fall backwards. You know, at that point in time, if I'm a guard, I don't keep trying to arrest Jesus um, when he says, I am, and I fell down on my back and we're all knocked down on the ground, but they get up. And uh, Peter, 
Um, we know that from the other Gospels that this is Peter. It says in verse 51, suddenly one of those, you know, Matthew being uh, gracious doesn't include Peter's name. One of those who are with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he'll provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Now a legion up to three to 4,000 in the Roman army would be a legion. Jesus says, don't you know that I could just call upon my father and he would provide more than 12 legions of angels? And we know that one angel can wipe out an army, right? So Jesus is saying, don't you understand? This is something that I am doing willingly. And he goes on to explain this. How then could scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? And in that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you didn't seize me, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. See, in other words, this is God's plan. You had all the time in the world to arrest me and you didn't because it wasn't God's timing. And then notice what it says. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Now, to Peter's credit, he tried to make good on his vow. He was willing to die. There's a whole bunch of soldiers and they have swords and they have clubs, they have torches. And Peter cuts off someone's ear and he's trying to defend Jesus. And Jesus tells him to put away your sword. To Peter's credit, he's trying to make good on his vow that I won't forsake you but he wants to do it in his way. Sometimes we want to serve Jesus in our way. And Jesus says, no, I want you to serve me in another way. I want you to do something different. I know that this was your plan to show me that you really love me, but I have a different plan uh, for you. And then what happens is the king's trial before Caiaphas says in verse 57, those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, now, isn't this ironic? Jesus is what in the book of Hebrews? Our high priest. It says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was tempted in all areas as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us come uh, boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain grace and, and uh, mercy to help in time of need. Jesus is our high priest. And he sits before this guy that is kind of this, this guy that in a sense, this puppet leader Caiaphas, who sits in this chair as the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled, uh, but Peter followed. Notice, notice in verse 58, Peter's back. He ran away, kind of feels guilty maybe, starts thinking about what he said. He comes back, and he's now not close to Jesus, but he's following Jesus at a distance. Sometimes when we fail God, we start to follow, but we follow at a distance. I just want you to think about what this looks like practically. Someone can just be fully engaged in serving, reaching out to other people, being used by God, and then some failure, some sin, some, some mess up in his or her life happens. And before you know it, they're still there, but they're just following at a distance. Don't want to really be involved. Don't want to, don't want to be in the spotlight. Don't want to serve publicly. Just, you know, let me kind of follow at a distance. I just kind of want to fade into the background. And then what happens? As he followed at a distance, 
to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and he sat with the servants to see the end. So Peter's watching. Now in verse 59, now the chief priests, the elders, the council, they sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. Even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. So even the false witnesses they came forward with lies couldn't come up with something against him. If you were running for office, if I were running for office, it wouldn't be that hard for someone to say, well, you know, I've traced back, you know, seven years ago or 10 years ago or whatever these things. In Jesus' whole lifetime, they can't even come up with false things to bring up against him. And then it goes on and it says, but at least two false witnesses came forward and they said, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. Then the high priest arose and he said to him, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? And notice in verse 63, but Jesus kept silent. The high priest answered and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And finally, Jesus opens his mouth and said to him, it is as you said, nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So he looks to Caiaphas and finally he says, okay, it is as you said, and you will see the son of man. You will see him sitting at the right hand of power. The high priest tore his clothes, which was a sign of blasphemy. And I want you to notice something about the high priest here. He was both the judge and the prosecutor. A judge is not supposed to be a prosecutor at the same time, right? A judge is supposed to listen, bring testimony, all listen. The judge, Caiaphas, is also Jesus's prosecutor. He's trying to show that Jesus is guilty. He tears his clothes. He says he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of of witness? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? Jesus is putting himself in this, in this place of power, being equal with God, the Christ, the son of God. They answered and they said he is deserving of death. And in verse 67, they spit in his face and they beat him. And others struck him with the palms of their hands saying, prophesy to us, Christ, who is the one who struck you? Now, I just want you to think about what this is like for Peter. Peter says, I'll never deny you. Even if I have to die for you, I'll die for you. And so many times we could read this because we've read this so many times, but I just want you to think for a moment if you are married about your wife, your husband. If you have children, I want you to think about your child. If you're, I want you to think about your parents. I want you to think about one of your best friends going through the exact same thing that Jesus is going through and you see it. And you are watching from a distance. This is happening to this person that you love with all of your heart. I did just picture that person's face. You've made commitments to them. You've made vows to them. Till death do us part. You, you've said things. I love you. I'll die for you. You've said all of these things. And you see this happening. And Jesus is Peter's savior. He's his friend. And Peter is watching as these things are happening. And the next thing that happens, it says in verse 69, And Peter sat outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. Now this is like a junior high girl. Um, Women didn't have a lot of power in Jesus's time. Young women, junior high girls had even less power. Servants had even less power and a servant junior high girl had even less power. And she comes to Peter and says, I think, I think I know you. 
I think you are one of them. You know, I'm not intimidated by Katie Riggin. You know, I love Katie, but I'm not intimidated by her. But she comes to Peter and, and, and you know, this junior high girl, and she says, you're, you're one of them. And I want you to notice, he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you're saying. And in verse 71, he went out, out of the gateway. He saw another girl came to him, these vicious junior high girls, and said to him, those who were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth, and he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. Can you imagine saying that to your, about your wife or your husband, your friend, your son, your daughter, your mom? I don't know them. I'm not a part of their family. They're not my friend. Trying to save your own skin. This is what Peter's doing. And then a little later, one who stood by came to Peter and said, surely you are also one of them for your speech betrays you. And then in verse 74, he began to curse and swear saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. We know from the gospel of Luke that Peter, at this time when the rooster crows, he looks at Jesus. He has eye contact with him. And he knows that he's let Jesus down and he's betrayed him. When it comes to letting Jesus down and it comes to sin and it comes to failure, the only way to deal with it is to look him in the eye. Now, physically, I'm not looking Jesus in the eye as though he's not, you know, physically in front of me. But let me tell you what it means to look Jesus in the eye. It means that when I pray, I get by myself and I look to God and I don't blame anyone else and I don't hide and I don't run and I don't try to drown my depression in hobbies or food or drugs or sex or entertainment. I don't try to run away from God and do religious activity to satisfy the guilt. It means I stop. It means I look Jesus in the eye and say, I, f- I failed. Forgive me. I have sinned. I have let you down. I don't blame anyone else. I don't blame my circumstances. I don't complain. I don't make excuses. I look Jesus in the eye. And it is the only way to be restored is to look him in the eye. It's to realize what he has done for us. It says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it is so important to know that when we sin, we don't sin against a commandment. We don't sin against a principle. We don't sin against um, these theories. We don't sin against a, a bunch of laws. You know who we sin against? We sin against God himself. We sin against Jesus. And that's why when David sinned, and even though he had he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and he had Bathsheba's husband Uriah murdered and he let down the whole nation. When, when David prayed, he, get, he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. When the rooster crowed, Peter caught eye contact with Jesus and he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, I'm so blessed that this is not the end of Peter's story because our king deals with failures differently than most kings deal with failures. In fact, when Jesus rises from the grave, and I'm just going to fast forward, when he appears to, um, to Mary Magdalene, and, and Mary comes to the tomb, Jesus says something to her. Remember, Jesus predicted 
I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee. Let me tell you what he says. He says to Mary after he has risen, um, or, or I'm sorry, the angel says to Mary, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee and there you will see him as he said to you. You know, after these, cru- these days after the crucifixion, I think were some of the darkest days that any human being has ever gone through. I think Peter saw Jesus crucified. I think Peter runs. He remembers what it was like to betray Jesus. And by the way, we, we also know that in, in John and in Luke, Jesus, I mean, uh, Peter's there warming his hands at, at the enemy's fire. You know, he's there at the fire and that's when he, these people come to him and finally he denies him that third time. I think that when Mary Magdalene comes and she says to the disciples, he is risen, he's going before you to Galilee. And then I just think that Peter, in my mind, has his head down. I, I just picture Peter listening and maybe everyone else lifts their heads and Peter's head is still down. And I, I, I think that in my mind, I just picture her saying, and Peter, he asked for you. What did this do for Peter? What does it do for you? When he calls you by name, I know you've blown it. I know you've failed. I know you've messed up. But you know what? I've prayed for you. And I knew you would mess up when I called you. I knew you would mess up when I, when I saved you. But when you get back up from your messing up and you stop throwing a pity party and you get your eyes off of yourself and you start looking at me, then get up and strengthen your brethren and do something about it. When you stop being so introspective that you're so afraid of telling anyone else about Jesus because you're not good enough, when you stop doing that and you get back up, I'm gonna strengthen you. And then you go and you tell other people what I've done for you. This is the message for us this morning. This is how our king deals with failure. He says, get up. You know, it's kind of like, I remember the movie Rocky, Rocky Three. You know, I just remember Mickey. And, and uh, if you know that, you know, he's fighting Mr. T and, and Mr. T pummels him and he's on the ground. And all Rocky could, could see in his mind is, is his trainer, Mickey, saying, get up, you bum. You know, get up, you bum. And I think Jesus sometimes says, get up, you bum. In a way that just causes us to look to him. Look what, it's not you, it's me. You're not the savior. You're not the winner. You're not the success story. You're not the hero. I am. And when you simply point to me, then people don't look at you. And people look at me. And when you share some of your failure and the vulnerability of, man, I am a loser, but I'm on the winner's team. You know, I, I, I've messed up so many times, but Jesus has never messed up. That's the story. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't try. The gospel is trust. The gospel isn't, hey, attain these things by the law. The gospel is believe by faith and receive. That's the gospel. See, when Jesus reinstates Peter in the book of John, Peter's out fishing again. And, and if you know what happens, um, Jesus is out there. He's on the shore. Peter's fishing. And just like old Peter, he's still not catching anything. And there's nothing coming into the boat. And he's out there. And Jesus is on the shore. And he says, hey, Throw the net over to the other side. So I don't know, but if I'm Peter, probably with Peter's attitude, I I would say, okay, this punk, you know, this guy, watch. Okay, so I'll throw it over to the other side and show him I'm still not catching anything. All of a sudden, they begin to catch so much fish that the nets begin to break. And Jesus knows that it's, I mean, Peter knows that it's the Christ, it's the Lord. And says that he jumps out of the boat and he starts swimming to shore. He gets to shore. And what is Jesus doing? He's cooking them breakfast. 
He's cooking them, and it's funny to me. He's cooking fish. Like, I have fish, you know. He's cooking them some fish. There's this breakfast over fish. Peter gets there before anyone else. He doesn't even have to say anything because he knows it's Jesus, and Jesus is cooking him breakfast, and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I love you. What does he say? Feed my sheep. Then he says again, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know. You know. And he says, feed my sheep. And you know what Jesus does three times? He reinstates them three times. You denied me three times? You have an opportunity to tell me that you love me three times. And, and, and by me restoring you, I'm saying you're not done. Your life is not over. Your usefulness to God is not over with your greatest failure. It's just begun. Feed my lambs. Do something with it. Bless others. Take that failure and get back up and show people that I serve a loving, gracious, merciful God that can take a mess up like me and still use me to feed other people and to bless other people and to reach out to other people. If that were the end of the story, that would be great. Peter becomes the hero, but we know that Peter didn't have his last failure there. In Galatians, we read about Peter messing up again. He he started telling the Gentile Christians to, to be circumcised. He wouldn't eat with them. He kind of withdrew from them because of fear of over his Jewish Christian friends. And it says that Paul had to oppose Peter where? Does any of you know that what it says? To his face. He opposed Peter to his face. How was the restoration process for Peter? Face to face with Jesus, face to face with Paul. The only way that we come clean with God is to come face to face with him. We're gonna have an opportunity to worship the Lord together singing. But before we do that, this bottom line is something that we we can't forget. I fail, Jesus doesn't. Even when I'm faithless, he's faithful. At the end of Peter's life, let me tell you, not in the Bible, but historically what happens to Peter. And Peter has messed up. He has failed Jesus. He's denied Jesus those three times. Uh, he messes up, you know, in, in Galatians. Paul has to oppose him to his face. And at the end of Peter's life as an older man, they say, you're one of them. You're one of his disciples. And we're gonna kill you unless you forsake him and unless you deny him. And this time Peter says, no, I'm not gonna do it. He says, crucify me like my savior, but I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my savior. Crucify me upside down. He ends his life by saying, Jesus, I'm a failure, but you know what? You're not. My prayer for all of us is this, that in the midst of our faithlessness, God is faithful. You know, it, this past year for me personally, I just feel like, man, I, I, I failed in so many ways. I Just studying for this, I just I started feeling like, man, I, I, in my mindset, there were things that I knew I would be able to do. And man, my kids have seen me just lose my temper. I've, I've lost faith under stress. There have been times financially that we were struggling. When Deanna had to go back to work full time, um, just I wasn't ready for that kind of duty at home. I, I don't feel like I've met with as many of you as I would like to. I, I don't feel like I've led as, as strongly as I'd like to. But you know what? I'm not sharing this with you. There's no pity in that. 
I'm sharing this with you because Jesus says, hey, you know what? You're in a good spot. You're in a good spot because now you're not looking at yourself. You're not trusting in your own energy or ability or strength or your years of experience in ministry. You're trusting in me. And, and let me show you what I could do. Let me show you what I could do. And by the way, you need these people. You need these people. Just like I, need, I needed these people. I showed you the example. So I need you. You need me. We need each other. And in the body of Christ, this is how we become strong. This is how people see from the outside. I want inside that. I don't want to be following at a distance. I could be here at church. I want to be one of them. I want to follow the same Savior that you follow. Because you, when you guys sing, you sing from your heart that you know him. You, you sing from your heart that it's not just a, a religious song. You're singing to someone on the other end of it. I want that. Today, if you want that, let today be the day of salvation. To say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin, my failure. I'm like Peter. And you know what? If, if as a Christian, you feel like, man, I failed you, Jesus. Man, I've messed up. Today, let's look him in the eye. Let's look him in the eye. And, and if, if it's in your heart to do, just stand before him, not because of anyone else, but just, just as we sing, just stand and say, Jesus, I'm looking at you in the eye. And I'm saying, you're the success story. The gospel is about you and I have failed, but God, forgive me, restore me and use me. Use me today to reach others. So I'm gonna pray. And if that's in your heart, then let's, let's worship together. Father, this morning, um, Lord, we have failed. You haven't. We've been faithless. God, you have been faithful. God, we are sinners and you are sinless. Lord, we, we are those that have been losers and God, you are the only one that won our salvation. And so Lord, we look to you. And Father, personally, I just thank you so much for your grace, your love, your forgiveness, your mercy. God, I thank you that in our weakness, you're made strong. And Lord, I pray that today as we declare our, our own frailty, as we humble ourselves before you, that we would be made strong in your, in your presence. Father, there are some here that have failed in vows. Maybe they've been baptized years ago. And that baptism was to signify that they would follow you all the days of their life. And they've blown it. Lord, there are some here that have failed in vows to other people. They said that they would never let this person down. They said that they would never forsake this person. They have. Father, there are those that, that said, I'm gonna stop this addiction. I'm gonna stop this sin. I'm gonna, it'll be the last time I ever, I ever rage at this person that I love. It'll be the last time that I ever go out and try to drown away my sorrows with a bottle. Lord, it's gonna be the last time that I ever click on that site again. It'll be, this will be the last time, Lord, that I ever, ever, be fake and just say these things. And yet, Lord, we just confess to you, we're failures. And God, we need your grace. And we thank you, Lord, that that is not a down thing, that is an up thing, that is not a, a bad thing, Lord, that is such a good thing. So Lord, restore, renew. We're asking that your Holy Spirit would draw us into worship. And we pray, Father, that as we, as we stand before you, Lord, if you would lead us to, that we, we would look you in the eye that we would sing songs that are from our hearts. And I pray that if there's anyone here that has never received Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today would be the day of salvation. And if that's you, would you also stand and say, Jesus, forgive me.
come into my life. I want to follow you. Change me from the inside out. So as we sing to the Lord, if it's in your heart to stand, maybe just to say, God, I've failed, restore me. God, use my failure. Lord, I want to know you. Lord, I, I, want, to, I want to be restored. Then just stand where you are. We're going to sing together. We're going to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, as, as we continue to worship you, um, Lord, we just thank you so much for your grace. God, help us to take our eyes off of ourselves. Lord, we thank you so much for what you have done for us. Lord, may we rejoice in the truth of the gospel. That, Lord, we're so grateful that it's not a, a how-to book it's not a manual for just how to live, but Jesus, you yourself are the one that gives us strength. We pray that you would fill us with your spirit. We ask you, Lord, that uh, as we trust in what, what you have accomplished for us on the cross, that God, it would inspire us from the inside out to live in a way that would be attractive to others, not because of, Lord, it being an outside thing, but because we realize, Lord, we can't do it on our own. And Lord, by our humility, um, Father, help us not to be afraid to share the gospel regardless of what people would think about us, regardless of what people would say or whether or not it's politically correct. I pray, Father, for boldness. I pray for courage. I ask you, God, that you would help us to overcome our own cowardice and our weakness, our lack of discipline, Lord, our own selfishness. Jesus, that you would use us to preach the gospel. And if anyone is standing around you, if you would just put a hand on the shoulder, I'd just like to pray for the people that are standing because it reminds us that we're not alone. It reminds us that we do need each other. Lord Jesus, uh, we confess to you, Lord, in our weakness that we, we need one another and we thank you for the body of Christ. So Lord, we, our reliance is upon you and we know that there are times, Lord, we need to bear our own load, but there are other times, Lord, when when uh, it's a brother or sister in Christ that comes alongside of us, that strengthens us and encourages us. And Lord, help us to do the same for them. As a body, Lord, we thank you that you are the head. We acknowledge that. Jesus, use our church to reach others. We pray for the baptism today. We pray for many. Maybe today they didn't plan to be baptized, but today's the day they just say, I just want to declare that I want to live for Jesus because of what he's done for me. And those that are baptized, I pray that they would be strengthened in their faith, that they would look back to this as a hallmark, not of their great vow, but Lord, of your great faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, you may be seated. We'll just continue to worship with uh, um, not only singing. If you're a believer and you're not a visitor, if you want to worship the Lord through tithes and offering. Um, this is how we give to the Lord. It's one of the ways that we show Jesus that he has priority in our life. Um, in the Old Testament, a tithe meant 10%. Um, in the New Testament, we realize that we're to give joyfully and hilariously um, out of uh, our hearts. And so it's not a, a legalistic thing. It's something where God frees us to say, hey, 
Lord, I want to give to you out of my heart, out of, out of the first fruits. And so my heart, my prayer for this is that when we worship the Lord, this is our response to what he has done as a generous God. Not a guilt thing, not a have to, but a get to, because God, wanna, I want to be used by you. So let's ask that the Lord would bless the offering. Father, we ask that you'd bless this offering. We pray that you would now take this, Lord, not as a, a thing where we have to earn your approval, but because you've already shown us that you love us. And so, Lord, while we, we might think that um, at times uh, it's out of guilt, Lord, may it never be out of guilt, but out of freedom. And we thank you for your blessing that comes, Lord, when we trust you, even with our, our first fruits of our finances. And so we ask that you would bless it, bless our, our worship. Lord, draw near to us. In Jesus' name, amen.